the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not uh, make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above, or that is on earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. For six days you shall labor and do all your work. Honor your father and mother, so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When all the people witnessed the thunder and lightning, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking, they were afraid and trembled and stood at a distance, and said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, or we will, lie, we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid, for God has come only to test you and, put, and to put the fear of him upon you so that you do not sin. This morning, though, we take up uh, a text that not, doesn't come from the New Testament, but comes from the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments. And these days, you know, a lot of uh, people use the Ten Commandments a lot to, uh, as, a, as a political baseball of some sort or some kind of something to, you know, the, uh, what a luxury it is, I think, to be able to argue about whether or not we should have the Ten Commandments on a building or not. I mean, you think, I, I don't know that people in Africa who have to travel hours to get food and water, let alone go to church. I don't think they really uh, quibble about whether or not the Ten Commandments belong on the side of a building or not, or, or whether that's appropriate or any of those things. They have real honest problems to worry about. What a luxury it is for us to, to argue about such things. And yet we do, uh, we do have this wonderful story that comes to us from Exodus after uh, everyone leaves and then Moses of course you remember Chuck Heston going up on the mountain and getting the Ten Commandments and uh, uh, having them uh, etched in stone and then brought down to the people who who uh, more or less had already rejected them right from the get-go but I have to say I find the Ten Commandments a little perplexing because here right from the beginning God says uh, I took you out of Egypt, therefore, uh, you know, I took you out of Egypt and you were oppressed and your freedom was restricted and, and suppressed and everything, so therefore, here are all these rules. Now, that seems a little strange to me that uh, the, the point of God uh, taking us out of Egypt was to offer freedom, and yet here, the first thing God wants to do is restrict our freedom. That doesn't make a lot of sense. Then, uh, and even looking at the the rules were given, leave me a little wondering. Like, the, are these really the top ten? Uh, you know, I get murder. Murder is kind. Of, I mean, that makes sense. You don't want to commit adultery. All of that's pretty straightforward. Uh, I've I haven't had too many uh, too many, much trouble building idols, right? I haven't. I'm I'm not that skilled uh, of an artist to build an idol, and so I haven't had any trouble building up idols in that regard. Others are a little bit harder, you know, lying, for example. It, that sounds reasonable until you uh, 
get into a bind of some sort. For example, if Pastor Curtis says, does this pulpit make me look fat? You know, <laughs> or something like that, you know, when the honest answer would be, no, those four slices of pizza make you look fat, Pastor Curtis, right? Uh, that's the honest answer, but you all are polite. You're not going to say that. We find ourselves kind of in a bind when we get faced with those kinds of questions. Not to mention, uh, not to mention right in the, in the beginning of Exodus, Moses would be dead if not for the bold-faced lie of Shipra and Pua. Do you remember this story? Moses was, uh, uh, the, the Hebrew women were giving birth to babies and uh, the Egyptians said, we want to we kill off all the male children. So if it's a male child, uh, make sure you kill that. They told Shipra and Pua to do that. And they told a lie. They said, oh, you know what? These, these Hebrew women, they're stout women. They, uh, they, they give birth before we ever even get there. We don't even get a chance to, to help with the birth, which was a lie. That was a lie. They were the midwives who, who uh, helped out uh, in all of that. So Moses would be dead if not for that particular lie. And then there's the stuff of not coveting. A, I don't know how you would regulate something like that, right? Uh, and B, I don't know quite how you would turn that kind of thing completely off. I got to tell you, every time an, uh, a motorcycle or a Mustang goes by, I do a little coveting, right? I do a little coveting. I'm like, man, I would look so good on that motorcycle driving. <laughs> and so, you know, it's hard to turn that stuff off. It's hard to turn that stuff off. However, I believe that these commandments, really, the only way for us to really understand them is in the context of Israel's liberation. It really is grounded in Israel's liberation, the Hebrew people being liberated from Egyptian slavery. God has freed them and now is going about the business of securing that freedom so that they never lose it again. These commandments, they serve to keep Israel from being enslaved once more, either by another group of people like the Egyptians or by anything within their midst. As you all know, we could be it's easy to get enslaved by the things that we pour ourselves into and put so much worth on that really constrict our freedom. And I'm here to tell you that these boundaries are given to us for the sake of freedom. God has freed them, these, these Israelites, and, they, and then proceeds to give them these rules so that they could continue to be free. You know, God could have just as easily told Moses, tell them not to do anything I don't want them to do. Don't do anything until I tell you to do it. Call it the one commandment, right? And uh, just do that one, you know, wait for God to tell them things. But that, that's not really freeing at all, is it? That is very restrictive. Don't move until you get some kind of uh, call in order to do that. And in fact, uh, for some insight into this, I, I looked into uh, one of the sages of biblical wisdom, uh, a commentary, uh, Mad Magazine. 
How many of you remember Mad Magazine, right? Uh, uh, the sage wisdom of, of Mad Magazine offered me some insight into this. This is a, Mad's kind of an old magazine, and uh, I came across this like 30 years ago, uh, but it's a little booklet on morality uh, and goes over the Ten Commandments. But this is what Mad Magazine had to say about uh, the Ten Commandments and the negativity of them. The negativity of the commandments marks off small areas into which free people ought not go, precisely so that they can remain free to roam anywhere else in the great wide world. For example, consider a positive command such as, you shall always leave a school building through a red-painted door. Over and against that put the negative command, you shall not leave school buildings through red-painted doors. Which commandment frees more kids to get out of more school buildings more of the time? Obviously, a negative command can prohibit one action precisely in order to free one for a host of others, whereas the positive requirement can force one into a given course of action and deny them the possibility of all others. If the Ten Commandments are correct in spotting the threats to human freedom, then the negativity of their wording is indeed the invitation for humans freely to find whatever style of life suits them, as long as they avoid these few pitfalls that would destroy their freedom altogether. In other words, here's a few rules that free us up to explore the world any other way. Don't do this so that you can do everything else and free yourself up for that. As opposed to like a positive rule that says, you know, you always have to do this. So I think these rules, obviously, as we look at that, are agents of our freedom and allow us to use the creativity that God has given us. The reality of the Ten Commandments are not that they are the bare minimum of a reasonable society, but that they are the boundaries needed for Israel's continued freedom. Here's the catch, though. When a moral code, like the Ten Commandments, when a moral code ceases to be an agent of that freedom, then it is not fulfilling its function. And I dare say that sometimes the use of the Ten Commandments as a battering ram or as some kind of uh, as something other than an agent of freedom has caused it to be to lose its functionality. Jesus faced this same issue. Jesus faced a world where the law had stopped being an agent of grace and freedom and became a millstone used to oppress one group of people while being exploited for the benefit of a few others. People in Jesus' time, the, the aristocratic elite, loved to pull out the law and point to how they were within the law and everyone else was without the law. And they loved to use that law to gain power and to keep other people oppressed. At this point, the law was not fulfilling its object to secure freedom. Jesus, when asked what the greatest commandment was, He went outside the Ten Commandments and drew out of the Scripture the one that was the most freeing to people 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your soul and with all your strength. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus summed up the entirety of the law. Now, in Jesus' time, there was more than just the Ten Commandments. There was some 600 and something other uh, commentaries and expansions on the Ten Commandments. And I guarantee you that those in power knew them down to the, down to the letter because they liked to use them against everyone else. Jesus says, you know what, throw all that away. Love God and love each other. Love yourself. You'll do fine. How freeing. How freeing. How, how I, I almost feel the shackles of all those rules just fall off my hands and free me up to do that which God has called me to do, to be that which God called me to be. So here's my point. If God puts some kind of boundary in our life, it's for the sake of freedom. Ours and everyone else's. Here's the key to all of that, is that it's got to be about everybody. right? It can't just be my freedom at the expense of your freedom. Because that's often how laws go, right? My freedom comes at the expense of your freedom. No, that isn't, how, that isn't the way Jesus works. That isn't the way God works. Uh, boundaries put together, boundaries that are holy and sacred, boundaries that God has put together are there to free all of us. Amen? They're there to free all of us. Moral codes in a biblical sense are not given to us so that we know who the good people are and, uh, and you know, who are the bad people for us to look at. This is the other thing that, that gets misused in the Bible. Is if I can take it and go, okay, well, here's the rules. I follow that rule. I follow that rule. I follow that rule. Good. I must be a good guy. You don't follow this rule. And you really could do better on that rule. <laughs> and you do this one okay, but no one really cares about that rule anyway. So you're bad. You're a bad person. I feel a lot better about myself because of that. That is not what the moral codes are about. That is not what the Ten Commandments are for. And that is not what we're called to do with the rules given to us in the Bible. That God is the one who gets to sort out who's good and who's bad. We count on God to do that because only God knows our heart. Amen? They are not there to keep us from enjoying life. Right? The, there is this notion sometimes that that to live a moral upstanding, to be right with God, you have to basically you know, stop enjoying life altogether and just cloister yourself in your room praying all day long and uh, eating you know, porridge or something like that, right? Self-denial, all of those kinds of things. That is not true at all. In fact, God is the bringer of joy, amen, and wishes joy in our lives for everybody. In fact, the point of freeing us up, the point of unshackling us from the law is so that we can have, as Jesus says in John 10.10, a full and abundant life, the life that God has in store for us. In fact, so often it is, it is going outside of the boundaries of God that steals our joy away. Treat your body as a temple and you'll last a lot longer. 
Treat it like junk and you'll be, you'll be dead sooner than God intended you to be. Uh, you know, try and become wealthy at any expense so that you have resources and money and you're going to destroy someone else's life and you're going to feel sick about it and no one's going to like you anyway. Right? You're, I've, not, you know, I've known a few millionaires. I've known a few people with a lot of money and they're miserable. They got more problems than I could ever imagine. So that's not joy. You know, we go seeking joy somewhere else, but God says to us, joy is truly found in living out the life God has for us, becoming the person God created us to be. And when God sets up some boundaries for us, it's so that we are free to become that which God created us to be, to become our, our higher selves, to really tap into the light of God and to be on a path that leads us towards joy, real joy, not artificial joy. Joy that comes from the kingdom of God, not joy that comes from this broken and hurt world. Those rules are not there to make us feel guilty. For guilt and shame are their own kind of slavery. Guilt and shame is, is, is anathema to everything that Jesus came to bring. Jesus came to say, I am here to free you from your guilt and your shame. I'm here to forgive you of those sins that you think come between yourself and God. I'm here to free you up of all those ways in which people have told you you're doing it wrong, you're doing it wrong, you're doing it wrong. God doesn't care about that. God cares about a deep and meaningful and abiding relationship with you. So much does God care about that, that Jesus came to proclaim the kingdom of God is here and now, and that we can have it, and we can revel in it, and we can live it out, and we can internalize it. And so important was that message that even death on a cross couldn't smash it out. That message and that, that same Jesus still lives in us today, amen? That's how powerful God's desire to eliminate our guilt and our shame is. It's not about guilt and shame. Those rules are not there to give us guilt and shame. And they're not there to be a measuring stick for the righteous and unrighteous. For many righteous find themselves unable to keep the law, and many an unrighteous have no problem staying within the reading of the law so it's not a very good measuring stick anyway. Once again, we count on God to know our heart and to guide us and to keep us moving in a right direction. They were shackles to the Israelites when they were just as the uh, uh, the Egyptians shackled the Israelites, and those rules became shackles to the Hebrew people again in Jesus's time. But they. Jesus came and freed us of those shackles. Freedom to become the person God created us to be. Freedom to experience the fullest of relationships with God and with each other. Ultimately, that's what this is about. If you look at the Ten Commandments and really pretty much all the rules and the laws that are given to us in the Bible, they're about two things. The first four commandments are about our relationship with God. Keep the Sabbath. Don't build idols. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Keep the... Wait a minute. I'm missing one. Uh, 
love the Lord your God only. Only worship God, right? (laughs) Those are really about our relationship with God. And it's to free us up to have a deep and meaningful relationship with God that, that, that will go until the end of time. So often we try to make rules that push God away. God doesn't desire that. God desires a, an intimate relationship. All the others, the six other ones, are about our relationship with each other. And that's really what it's about. How are we relating to God and how are we relating with each other? And if we can nail those things down, if we can get good at that, if we can allow God to guide and to put boundaries on and to free up our relationships to grow and blossom and become indeed freeing not just to ourselves but to everybody, this world would be a better place to live in. Amen? Freedom is something that we value here in this country. And we find it when we are able to honestly and approach the boundaries of God in an honest and real way. Not using them to club people, but using them as agents of freedom that they were designed to be. Let us pray. Loving and gracious God, we thank You for Your discipline. We thank You for Your guidance. We thank You for Your boundaries. We thank You that You have indeed offered us insight into where the pitfalls are in life. May we explore them with You and with each other. May we acknowledge them and may we find our way within them so that we might become the person You created us to be. We ask all these things in the name of Christ. Amen.